couple of letters lies down and the Tri-Nations to come. Rugby, Test Rugby moves to Australia and to take us all through it, I'm joined by former Wallabies Rod Kafer and George Gregan. Firstly, gents, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, Swaney, it's never a problem, mate, turning up for you. Good to have you here. Now, we've already had a couple of test matches down. Firstly, Kafer, I'll start with you. What were your initial thoughts of the Wallabies' performances over the last two weeks? Um, Certainly, I was disappointed after the Auckland match. I think the team, whilst they gave themselves opportunities to play, they didn't play particularly well. They played, obviously, much better in the first week. The All Blacks were much poorer in the first week, better in the second. Um, Disappointed defensively that uh, the team, in, in some ways, just looked like they were very anxious. So maybe just disappointed about their composure because sometimes defensively they looked anxious. They were really um, trying to make not big hits necessarily, but but trying to be really effective and probably overplayed things. They didn't have the, the calmness that maybe they had in the first week. So maybe the nerves got to them. So I was disappointed with the performance, disappointed for them um, that they weren't able to back up a second week and um, and win that match because you can never be happy in test matches losing test matches it's it's impossible to be happy um, but um, some very good signs and I was you know as you will be Greg's I think there are some good mm. signs there. yeah there were some good signs Kay, if I agree with you on a lot of those points also the fact that they stayed they stayed in the fight um, even though it was 27-7 in the end you know Corbetti gets held up over the line Marika. Um, and, you know, there was uh, some other key moments where um, I think uh, Pangaramos was almost going to be scoring. So they could have got themselves within a score or two with plenty of uh, rugby to be played in that final quarter. So I was pleased with that. It wasn't, wasn't, a, it wasn't a blowout. Uh, but uh, Test Match Rugby, we, we talk about it before every big game, don't we? Those real small things which matter, like you first up tackling, uh, making sure there's real discipline around uh, what you do at set piece and also at the tackle contest. And as soon as you, you start falling away in those areas against a really good team like the All Blacks, particularly after a performance in Wellington where you knew they were gonna, that it was going to be a statement game, if you're a little bit off, they can really hurt you. And there's about a 10-minute period where they put on like three consecutive tries, and that's really, really hard. That's that momentum. We always talk about it, which you just can't allow good teams to have. So, yeah, they'll, they'll, Dave Rennie and that team and the Wallaby team will be disappointed by that uh, backup result. But uh, some good positive learnings, I think, for the next two here in, uh, in Australia. Yeah, George, you talk about 80-minute performances in Test Match Rugby. That I mean, it went to 89 minutes in that first test. Um, it was really only a 10-minute period, as you say, that the Wallabies really slipped off those tackles, allowed those points to come through. Do you think that this Wallabies team can improve to that 80 minutes performance? Yeah, they can definitely improve. But it wasn't just that 10 minute where they were slipping off. The first half, they were scrambling. I think that at halftime, they'd, they'd missed 20-odd tackles. Um, so they were scrambling defensively well in that first half, staying in the contest. But that, that comes back and it does pay uh, for the, like for someone like the All Blacks, it pays later because you've actually stressed them. Uh, the Wallabies haven't found a defensive rhythm. We always talk about rhythm in attack, but you get a rhythm in defence as well, which they never found the Wallaby team. But no, that that was the pleasing side of the fact that uh, you know that, that area, um, which the All Blacks are always good, uh, normally coming out of half time, normally before half time coming out, and also closing games. The Wallabies were 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 on par except for finishing. Or starting the second half the way they did. 
You guys have both played in massive matches in Sydney. Some of the most iconic Bledisloe Cup matches have happened in Sydney. Uh, what makes playing at ANZ Stadium and in Sydney such a special place? I think, uh, Swain, when you're, when you're growing up as a kid, you always wanted to play rugby in front of big crowds at big stadiums. And, of course, the biggest stadiums in Australia at the time as when I was growing up was, was certainly in Sydney. Um, of course, there was no ANZ there, but playing at uh, either the SFS or the SCG were things that, um, you know, that, that you really aspired to. Um, I was lucky enough, my first test match was at um, Stadium Australia in 1999 in front of a world record crowd of 109,742. I managed, after we won that game, to have a beer with every single one of them. So I did my service to Australian rugby. But playing it at those massive, massive stadiums in, in those events is just something that is, um, uh, you know, uplifting and it is a real, there's an uplifting element to it that you really enjoy. And, you know, Greg's has played in much bigger games yeah. than me. He knows more about it. No, but like he's spot on. Like there's an energy you get from big crowds and playing in a big event and you want to have that nervous energy and you know there's something special or you're part of something pretty special. I've been on the other side of that too at the Stadium Australia about a year later when Cathy Freeman when she won that 400 metres, I still get goosebumps thinking about that. There was You're part of something really, really special. I think that's what live sport does, particularly when you've got rugby union, Wallabies, All Blacks. It's game on. The series is game on, particularly. The Wallabies need to win these next two to win the Bledisloe, but they definitely need to win the next one to make the second one in Brisbane the decider. So, yeah, there's... There's that, that edginess to this sort of game, which the players will feel, but it'll definitely come through with the support. Even though it might be at 50% uh, in next week, it's still going to be an incredible uh, energy, which the players will feed up. I'll feed off uh, due to what's been an unusual year where they've been playing in front of empty stadiums. All of a sudden, you're playing in front of 40,000. We saw that result of that in um, Wellington and in Auckland. There's a great energy which comes through on the field, but also through through the television as well. You've both also played in do-or-die clashes and, and for the Bledisloe Cup to stay alive, this is a do-or-die clash for the Wallabies. So what have they got to do now to win this test against the All Blacks uh, this one this coming week? God, Swaney, where do you start? Where do you want to start? Just pick a place on the field and we can talk you through it. But I think t- test, matches, test matches are always um, decided by how stable your forward pack and how well your forward pack play, really. And if um, the Wallabies have scrummaged actually very, very well mm. um, throughout the first couple of games, no doubt. It's a, it's a very even scrum battle. Line-out is an issue. And, and and some people sort of say, you know, why, why is set-piece so important? Because you only have a couple of games, uh, sorry, a couple of moments in the game where it's important. But it provides continuity of um, possession. If you can consistently win your own set piece and deny the opposition, you get more of the ball in good parts of the field. And that's what becomes so important. And, and it also um, is very good for the um, team morale when you're winning and dominating set piece. It really gives you a bit of a boost. Um, we have, for too long a period of time, been on the wrong side of that. Uh, we've got a scrum that is certainly competitive. Our line-out will be under pressure. Then, then there are all the other aspects of the game that we know, attack, mm. defence, kicking, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, mm. um, but I think if you can 
if we can lock down our set piece and ensure that we can get possession, then at least we give ourselves uh, an opportunity to apply pressure to the All Blacks. And that's what's key. It's getting just, pressure on the opposition. Just the last one on this one, Greg. Uh, is this Wallabies team capable of, of those sorts of gains in, in this week? Yeah, I think they are. I think I'd add a little bit, like when it's these sort of matches, it becomes a bit primal. Like you've actually, you've just got to, you've got to do all the technical and you're, you go through all the strategy. That's really, really important. You do that before every game. But in games like this, it's, it's about winning every single contest that's available to win um, throughout the course of 80 minutes and, and giving yourself the best opportunity to beat whoever's on the opposing team um, who's part of that contest. It could be the tackle. It could be the breakdown. Um, it could be just that ability to be working harder off the ball than they are. Whatever it is that you need to be doing, you need to be doing it better than the person who you're playing against. And that feeds right through the team. So, similar to what Kaif was saying with a set piece and your ability to attack, your ability to defend, all those things which are critical. But there just needs to be that edge to how you want to go about every single contest that's available throughout the course of 80, 80 plus minutes and, and putting yourself in a position to win it. And I think that's, it doesn't matter what code it is, particularly when it comes to collision sports. The ones who do that, uh, they, they often finish on the right side of the ledger because they've just won all those small little battles within the, within the course of the game. Now, uh, we'll move on from the All Blacks. Argentina are also in town. Uh, it's a Tri-Nations. What is it, 1996 again? We've got a Tri-Nations back. Boys, uh, what are your memories of playing in those early Tri-Nations matches, albeit this time it's Argentina, not South Africa? Sorry, well, you this one. yeah, <laughs> I'll answer some of that. I, I just what I found was obviously that was the home and away piece, um, and this is going to be unique because it's all it's all being played in the Australian bubble um, between Queensland and New South Wales. Uh, so it's it's a really uh, unique uh, tri nation, so to speak. But my early memories were like when you played away, uh, it's that whole home and away. It never gets easier, but even more so then, it was really, really tough. And, and we played against 96, 97 when it first started. That was a very, very good All Blacks team you're talking about. Your Zinzan Brooks, your Frankie Bunces, Walter Littles. Um, you got your Sean Fitzpatrick's, the young Marshalls, your young Mertens, some really, really good players. A young guy called Jonah Lomu starting to emerge. But they were able to replicate their form be it in New Zealand, wherever they travel. And that's what the good teams do. And I think that's the challenge of the Tri-Nations because you know when you play away from home that it's going to be difficult because the teams will lift for all the reasons you spoke about, a big game which is coming up for the Wallabies uh, All Blacks. But also the fact that when you're at home, you know how important it is to get that home ground advantage and get that win. So that that home and away and the challenge of being able to replicate your, your good performances at home away was a big part of uh, uh, the learnings of... Uh, Tri-Nations. It took the Wallaby team probably till 99-2000. On oh, no, we played in a decider against uh, the Bockies over there at Ellis Park, but we just weren't able to, to get the job done. But you learn about playing big games away from the comfort of your home ground. And the Argies uh, here, Argentina, CAFE, okay, uh, what are you expecting from the Pumas? They've got Mario Ledesma and now Michael Checker in camp with them as well. So there's a bit of inside intel there probably. Um, albeit from last year, but uh, they're very, they know this Wallabies team very well. They definitely do. And, and we know the Argentinian team, what to expect from them. They play up fast. They try to play under Mario, a very fast brand of rugby, try to use the ball a lot through the hands. Um, they've got a, a judicious kicking game um, and, a, and a reasonable set piece. We used to talk about how good they were previously. That was in another era. The set piece is... Okay, it's not 
outstanding. It's it's good and it's serviceable, um, but but they do um, offer a, a slightly different threat. And when they and again they are a team who play on the um, the emotional side of the mm-hmm. game. When they get a role on, they're very hard to beat. If you can deny them the role, they can then sometimes go a little bit quiet. Um, and that's going to be what the Wallabies will want to do is just to be able to exert their own pressure on the Argentinian side and not succumb to when Argentina gets momentum. Momentum in rugby, as George was talking about before, those little, the, the, the one on the, every single battle in rugby delivers you the opportunity to take momentum from the opposition. It's what Argent, the Argentinian sides, when mm. they play well, do that very well. They use it when they've got it. Um, sometimes the trick in rugby is to deny the opposition for as long as you can. And when you get it, exploit it. George, you were talking about uh, the the touring aspect of of rugby before the Argentinians and the All Blacks are going to be on tour um, in a bubble together. Does that galvanise a team uh, being on tour? You've been on many rugby tours before. I know being on rugby tours with you blokes as commentators, you galvanise as a team. (laughs) That's true. It is. It's it's always shared memories, shared experiences you don't get unless you're together for long periods of time. And, and it is, it's fantastic for building unity, uh, that, that, that lovely thing called team spirit um, and, and just that whole togetherness, which you only get from spending quality time together. Uh, and when you're on tour like these guys are, um, you need a bit of a break from each other as well, but you get to know each other and that's coaches, players, every single one. Um, has, has a role to play when you're on a, on a touring party. But you've got to have some time off as well. But I think they're going to really enjoy this. Like, it's it's Australia, it's it's COVID-free. Well, there's a bits of COVID, like in terms of the environment. Compared to other parts of the world, it's a pretty amazing time of year to be playing rugby. Um, it's a bit of a celebration of, I think, international rugby and international sport for us to be playing in front of, like, even though they're going to be 50 to 60% filled stadiums. But who knows, that might even grow over the course of the six weeks but I think from a touring perspective, mate, as a team, you, you, you can talk about it, you can plan, you can do all your pre-seasons, you can be, even during these first two weeks that the Wallabies have been together, that time being in New Zealand, it brings uh, a, real, a real glue to your team. But it also can, if you're not on the right side of the ledge, it also gets to test your team because you might go through some tough times. So I think that's what's part of being together on a tour is all about. It's not always going to be rosy, but you're going to work through it together and being together uh, for extended periods of time brings that. And, and, and as I said, I could probably elaborate a bit more. You've got to have that time away from it as well to really enjoy the experience of playing in a different country in a different environment. And uh, it's not always just worried about playing footy and, and looking at chalkboards, is it? No, Greg, Greg's, and the great thing is, Swanee, having toured with you, you've got that ethos about you. You understand how to tour around rugby. Feel free to cut any of that footage from you in the pub in 2015, Rugby World Cup, singing song. Just drop it in, Swaney. Drop it in. People would love to see it. Just don't put that one of me in there. You know which one. But put your own one in there. There'll, there'll be, there'll be no, uh, no that this year, unfortunately, I would think, ah. with the bubbles happening. Um, give, give, me, give me a play to watch. Who's a guy that you want to see stand out from, from any team? Um, but, yeah, give me one guy to, to, to watch, Kaif. Well, I think the easy ones are the Caleb Clark is an easy one. Yeah. And I was, you know, okay, and that's just simple. And everyone in there goes, of course you're going to say him, you know, what a standout. But um, I, I remember seeing Caleb when he first, um, he, he played in the Thames uh, competition in Brisbane. Whatever that was, it might have been three years ago. I can't remember. Two, three, it might have been three years. It's two years ago. 
Yeah. It was two years ago. And he came onto the scene. He's 18 years old, fresh yeah. out of school. And I interviewed him after one of the matches. And I was just um, really uh, taken aback by how mature he was um, and the type of character he was. I wasn't surprised having got to know his father both um, on and off the field, trying to tackle his old man who had legs as big as tree trunks, Ronnie Clark, who was a great player for both the All Blacks and for um, uh, the Auckland Blues. Auckland Blues. I used to have to pick his old man up on the drift in defence. I'd be at 12 years, 13. <laughs> and, oh, my God, he gave you nightmares. So seeing the the the, the son of a man who's, uh, you know, of a father whose legs I'd tried to wrap up and having the opportunity to interview him, for me, was a very, you know, personal moment. It was a great, it was a great sort of moment of this coming of age. And I got to then do a function in New Zealand um, at, at one of the local clubs before one of the Bledisloe's maybe two years ago, and Aroni was there. It was his local club out in West Auckland. And, um, and Aroni was there, and I sat with Aroni, had lunch with him, and, and we chatted a lot about family and what Aroni's doing in the community in Auckland, um, working with um, youth. And it was just a great thing. So the long answer to the question, Swaney, is Caleb uh, <laughs> Clark is... Caleb Clark. I'm really interested in watching the development, just watching him evolve as a player because what we've seen is actually only the start of his journey into international rugby and he's a standout performer last week this kid will get better and better and better and that is an ominous sign for the Wallabies and for everyone else who has to front him. Greg, so you yeah. the player to watch from your end mate? Yeah well I'd like to get this, the study guide out once we get more of what the, the, the complete uh, Argentinian squad is because they've they just got a, a tradition over the last five years of just producing outstanding back three players uh, who often have come through the sevens program. So I, I'm look, I, I know there'll be something special with incredible footwork, the ability to ball play as well, really dangerous from counter-attack. They're a team you don't want to kick to, and that's because they've always got a wonderful back three. Now, from but I'll keep it close to home. I think the, the his, his, uh, his evolution throughout just the course of the last year has been amazing. That, that'll be Noel Alessio. I know James O'Connor's our incumbent tenant doing a really good job, but you've heard Dave Rennie and the, and the Wallaby coaching group saying we, we're going to bring some players on throughout uh, this, this this period of time, which is the rugby championship. And I'd love to see him get – it might be off the bench. It'll be potentially starting. Who knows how it'll look? But they'll be looking to blood those players. We've seen it with Hunter Paisami and others who've come in and, and they've made it look – and Dungunu, they look like seasoned uh, test players just two matches into it. So you want to see them get exposure. I look forward to seeing Noel Alessio because that's a 10. It's a position we need to always develop. Every team, every country wants to be developing those decision makers. And I think his evolution, particularly under PDU, it's been really, really impressive with the Brumbies over the last two years. And uh, he was a big reason why the, the, the Brumbies won uh, the, the the Super Rugby AU competition. He really was impressive. So I'd like to see him get tested at the highest level, which is the Wallabies. So I look forward to seeing that. Here, here, gents. Well, look, you're going to be involved over the next six weeks. It's going to be a fantastic Tri-Nations. We're really looking forward to it. So thank you for your time today, and we'll see you over the course of the next six weeks. See you soon, Swainy. Thanks, And thank you at home as well. As I said, the Tri-Nations kicks off on October 31st with Australia v New Zealand at ANZ Stadium. You can catch it all live on Fox Sports. 